from the crypt. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent back here on another Friday night at the Barstool Sports Studios. As a full-time employee now, Marty Bent. Thank you, Lou. Thank wow. you, Lou. I wasn't wow. going to make that announcement, but wow. I guess, uh, <laughs> wow. hey, yeah, full-time here. Uh, resident crypto degen um, and helping out on the account team as well, you know, trying to sling ads while we can. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited about today's episode uh, for a couple of reasons. The main main one being that uh, this is our first non-Bitcoin maximalist we've had in the studio, which uh, a few have had a, pe- a bunch of people reaching out to me saying, all right, we need to get a different perspective. And I'm very happy that we're going to get that perspective tonight. Um, I'd like to introduce you all to Arjun Balaji. Arjun, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to be here. Well, well thank you for coming. Um, just a little backstory here. Arjun and I met probably in August of last year, right before the massive run-up um, that we that we witnessed over the last six months, or not even six months, four months. It's like it's, it feels like a, it's been a two years. That's um, uh, that's ten crypto years. Right yeah, exactly, there. exactly. So a lot has changed. We've got a lot to catch up on. Um, as you all know, net by now, losing the studio with us, and we got Nate hanging in the corner. He's over here trying to learn a little bit more. Just trying to learn about alts today. Just really trying to take it all in, and you know, just pick this guy's brain a bit. Um, yeah. So I think the best place to start. Uh, this is tales from the crypt. The one question we have to cover first is how did you find Bitcoin? When did you find Bitcoin? And what drew you towards it? For sure. So uh, it's actually <laughs> a little bit of a. It's, uh, I was a little bit of a degen back in the day. That's how I found Bitcoin. Um, this was uh, 2012. It was my freshman year of college. And, uh, you know, back, uh, you know, underage drinking, everybody is looking for, you know, and I don't condone any of these behaviors, but, you know, everybody's looking for access to alcohol. Back then, there was a guy on an illicit market, Silk Road, selling legitimate Ohio state IDs. And, uh mm-hmm. You know, I went to school in Boston, and uh, you know, one of the things we didn't realize is it's weird if you roll up to a bar with your crew and everybody has an Ohio ID. But <laughs> everybody on my floor was interested in getting one of these Ohio IDs, and uh, you know, I was the kind of resident computer science major um, who was tasked with uh, with looking this stuff up, and uh, you know, that's how you know I ended up uh, stumbling on Bitcoin. The Silk Road it drew a lot of people to Bitcoin. Um, yep. Rest in peace and uh, free Ross. Free Ross. Free, free Ross. Ross Albrecht still sitting in a jail cell on uh, two. Although if he did order a hit on someone, that's uh, you know that's I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's the touchy part with Ross. He may or may not have tried to kill some, have somebody killed. Um, that's scumbag move. But the uh, the double life sentence because of creating the Silk Road is, uh, I think that's a little unjust, a little. Uh, cruel and unusual punishment in the long run. Yeah, single life sentence. Mm-hmm. You know, that would have been enough. Yeah, I think that's enough. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to put him in there for two <laughs> lives. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So the reason I brought you in, you're uh, as a lot of my listeners and readers know from the newsletter. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Uh, I'm I'm what you would refer to as a Bitcoin maximalist. Uh, I know you trend maybe towards maximalism, but you're not afraid of alts. You're not afraid of the alt markets. When when did you start? Messing around with alts. Sure, I uh, so I I went through phases. I think that everybody goes through where you know first I found Bitcoin. Bitcoin was cheap. I bought a lot of Bitcoin. Um, I was very you know just fascinated with uh, you know and, and I you know went down the whole rabbit hole of you know ANCAP anarcho capitalism. Um, you know found uh, you know Mises's work. Um, mm-hmm. You know. Went down that rabbit hole, um, and then eventually my my sort of goal was: wait a minute, there could be things out there better than Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in that slightly disillusioned phase, um, and so I, I messed around with that whole sort of like first run of altcoins in 2013 with uh, you know Litecoin, and you know some of them still exist, but remember, you know, yeah, Archcoin, Zetacoin, yeah. Aurora so, Coin. Can I ask a question? It's time for me to jump in. So 2013, <laughs> I don't think I think I was still trying to do, just starting to do barstool stuff. Um, what is so like? Marty's always like, you're going to get wrecked in the altcoin. You're going to get wrecked in the altcoin world. Like, but to me, like 2013 is a different world than what we're living in now. Like, 
why do you feel like do you feel that like now these altcoins are more here to stay than they were in 2013 like obviously they're all not going to make it this is if this is the new internet they're all not going to make it but is it like different than it was in 2013 uh it is yes and no um you know so what you saw in 2013 when that market when the market started to to draw down significantly you know with some of these uh some of the altcoins markets you'd see um there just weren't enough bids there weren't anyone buying up this stuff and you know they saw them dip lower and lower and lower and some disillusioned guys would start buying the dip until they realized uh you know there was just no buyers left and so they ended up uh their investments became uh bags you know they just ended up becoming bag holders and uh you know i think uh, it's um you know play stupid games win stupid prizes I think I feel the same way about uh, you know alts right now, where I think a number of them you know are, it's the market's significantly more mature now. I think some of them are here to stay um, and can be thought of as investments over a multi-year time horizon. But I think uh, you know we'll see the same thing with you know the overwhelming majority of the alt market drawing down significantly. Yeah, and uh, it's a, it's the old saying: history doesn't repeat itself; it rhymes. And what you're see, what we've seen this year, or excuse me, last year with the ICO explosion, reminds me a lot of uh, in 2013, 2014, the pre-mined altcoins. It was yep, yep. it's basically what we're seeing, just a new iteration of that. Yeah, and so people talk about how um, you know all these ICOs are so scammy, and how you know there's all these pre-mines now. Dude, Bitcoin talk forums back in the day, 2013, those were the days of pre-mines. You know, mm-hmm. guys would. Pre-mined tokens, they'd launch them, and then they'd steal fifty, lots of fifty Bitcoin, hundred Bitcoin, five hundred Bitcoin, and you know it was a lot worse then than it is now. Um, you know, at least now there's a there's a little bit there's a lot more eyeballs. Mm-hmm. You know, that's for sure. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So I think one thing that I, a question I've been getting a lot recently is people get confused. And so within the alt world, there's different types of alts. So there's basically there's there's coins that have taken Bitcoin's source code, tweaked it a little bit, and launched a new Genesis block. Obviously, the most recent iteration has been forked coins, and then we have completely separate protocols that have been started from scratch. Yeah. So, can you help us get give a little color and sort of the, the differences of each? And yeah, yeah, sure. I I think about um, tokens as you know, what is their intended purpose, right? So, you know, I I think you have a number of these tokens that are competing for you know, what I would call the money use case, right? So, store value, a payment rail, um, and, you know, some of these tokens have distinguishing features, others are just trying to be, you know, Bitcoin. Um, So, you have tokens that fall into that camp. Mm -hmm. Then you have, uh, you know, what I would describe as protocols. You have um, tokens like Ethereum, where, you know, they're attempting to build what they see as a protocol for, um, you know, call it programmable money. Mm-hmm. Um, where they may or may not necessarily be competing with Bitcoin, um, you know, despite how maximalists sometimes view it, <laughs> but uh, you know, they're, the founders have, you know, definitely a, a different intended use case. Um, and then you have a, a whole host of tokens that are built on other protocols. You have a lot of, um, you know, what people call utility tokens that are built on top of Ethereum that you know s- try to serve some sort of purpose. Uh, and then, lastly, I would I would put you know the rest of um, you know tokens into a bucket that's mostly um, you know useless tokens. You have a lot of tokens that don't need to exist. Uh, I, that was exactly what I was going to ask. Is when you're looking at alts and you're look you're reading about them, what are you looking for to separate the ones that are useful and then the ones that are just absolutely made up fairy tales? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, the thing that I always think through is why, what value will accrue back to the token. You know, if I'm a holder of this token, why is it going to go up in price over time other than just other speculators piling into it? And so, you know, if there's a real use case for it um, where, you know, it'll be need to be used in some sort of network that'll cause people to hold the token, um, you know, causing the price to go up, then, you know, it might make sense as an investment. So, that's one of the big things that I look for is, you know, what what value is uh, going to accrue back to the token? And so, to follow up on that, do you look do do you kind of separate alts into two different like buckets? One to hold for a long time, and then the reason that like the the reason I got into alts is because it looked like a great way to make quick money, like just really quick. You know, just the whole pump and dump thing. So, do you <laughs> do you look at two alts? I know. I mean, going to get realistically, wrecked. you're going to get wrecked. Dude. So, but do you look at them two different ways? Like these are good to hold, and these are good for right now, but not long term. Yeah. So I have, uh, you know, I, I, there's, 
you know, we were talking about this before we hit record, but, you know, if in terms of what I would hold for a really long time, it's called five years or 10 years, uh, there's only two tokens that I would hold. Um, you know, that's for me, that's Bitcoin and Monero. Um, everything else, um, you know, I have a different sort of time horizon on uh, where I, I find the thing really interesting for now, but I, I can see many reasons why that thesis could change over, you know, the next two years or three years um, or even six months in some cases. Um, and uh, but then there's a lot of tokens where I know the thing is going to go up um, just because of other speculators stuff like uh, you know we saw Tron you know do this crazy run up top. Oh yeah, up. I got to ask you about. Sorry, we got <laughs> Matt Brown, our like our my our like account manager kid. Like Lewis has a mini me. I have Matt like a mini me who like runs around has to do everything I, I tell him to do. I'm his adopted uncle. Yeah, he's his, my, Marty's his adopted uncle. He I need I need a minute on Tron because he will not stop asking me to ask you Tron, about Tron. Tron. Oh God. Um, you need to probably he doesn't want to hear my opinion of Tron. Well, no, 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 we need it. No, we Tron. need it. We need it. Tron. He asked me a hundred times a day, my, just get the oh, opinion on Tron. Did you my, hear that they're partnering with Alibaba? <laughs> did you hear that they stole most of the Filecoin white paper? Yes. The, uh, my favorite moment of uh, Tron's existence, short existence, was when uh, you know Juan, the, the founder of Filecoin, tweeted, out about Tron, and he said, uh, you know, he specifically pointed out the pages that were straight up plagiarized, and then he said, just in case the PDF gets taken out, I'm gonna archive this on Filecoin, and you know, there's I, I think no better way to wreck <laughs> proving someone. a use case. And uh, you know, we've Tron, uh, Tron's gotten taken a taken a pretty big hit the last couple of days, but um, you know, I think that in general, when you're uh, investing in things that have no code written, nothing that you can sort of publicly play around with um, where, you know, the use cases make a lot of sense. The team, you know, copied other white papers. You know, I I personally try to stay away from that kind of yeah, thing. Matt, Matt. Yeah, Matt. Matt, if you're listening, when you, when you do listen to this, Tron's out, you're an idiot. <laughs> he's he's Matt, planning on bag holding this. I've, yeah. I've been yeah, trying to tell him. Yeah, he's been trying like, to talk him off the, off the, the Tron train for a Tron, while. Tron's also just kind of a ridiculous name. Like, can we just? It's it's absurd. Like, why would you name your token? Hey, Tron? we're talking about it. So, <laughs> I mean, this is and this is and this is another like good segue because Tron it's promising the world to people, and I I, I I feel like the retail investors specifically don't really know how how constrained these blockchains are from a scale scalability standpoint and yes. and the functionalities that they have. So yeah, let's I, let's bring it back to sort of w- what blockchains work right now, like mm-hmm. what are their purposes and and what may be functional in the future. Sure, sure. I think that um, you know, inherently blockchains trade off um, you know, significantly on, you know, with convenience uh versus things like transaction speed. Um, and so one of the things that uh, noobs also always sort of get suckered into is, um, you know, hey, Bitcoin has you know X transactions per second. I don't remember what the exact number is. I think it's like three to seven. I think with Segwit it bumped up to seven or something yeah, like yeah. that. Uh, but you know, hey, we have Ripple or some other you know hot token that has you know X number X you know order of magnitude more transactions per second. Therefore, it must be better. Um, you know, which is a trap that uh, you know token investors often fall into which you know doesn't actually make a lot of sense if you think about you know why people buy bitcoin you know what bitcoin's sort of perceived use cases um and so you know oftentimes investors will fall for these you know grand narratives of you know hey ripple is partnering with all these banks which you know i'm not calling a narrative it might it might be true but <laughs> no i mean the, <clears throat> the tweets that come out in the last two weeks of the bank like the people working at the banks coming out and saying like yeah we're never going to use this like <laughs> we've said we'll, we'll we'll work with it a little bit but yeah in some cases the you know with uh, in the case of iota or some of these other tokens the um you know they're promised some sort of crazy new engineering structure you know hey we'll use a dag directly acyclic graph and it's so much better than the blockchain this is the future architecture and you know <sighs> what they don't realize is that you know decentralization decentralization true decentralization trades off a lot of things and uh mm-hmm. you know so that's one of the big sort of red flags to watch out for yeah and that's and that's what i'm trying to trying to get through to people with uh with the newsletter and this podcast is Let's remember, like the core reason why this technology was created, and that is so people could transact uh, in a way that will never be censored. And yeah. there are trade-offs. So if you want, if you want that censorship resistance, you need decentralization. And to a certain extent, the blockchain is going to be a little slower. It's going to be a little bit more arduous at the protocol level. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and what I'm really excited to see this year, specifically with Lightning, is is working on the second layer and, and opening people's eyes up to to uh, a second layer that is much quicker and sort of uh, people figuring out the the separation from the, pro- the of the protocol level from uh, layers on top of it. Absolutely, I think that you know once. The Lightning Network is sort of fully deployed, and uh, you know I've seen some of the UX. I've played around with it; it's, it's awesome. Yeah. And so, you know, once we see that, I think that a lot of people will be less. You know, they'll be more disenchanted with a lot of the altcoins, mm-hmm. whose sole purpose is just, hey, I can send you money from my wallet in two seconds, and uh, and you'll receive it, and you'll be able to to see it. But I think that there are differentiating feature, features that make some altcoins interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, privacy is, is something that I, I think is is very interesting across a couple of projects. Um, I mentioned Monero earlier. Um, I think the two sort of leading candidates, um, both of whom use different privacy mechanisms, are uh, are Bitcoin and Monero. I mean, uh, sorry, Zcash and Monero. Mm-hmm. Right now, um, Zcash uses uh, something called a zero knowledge proof. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monero uses uh, ring signatures. Um, both different privacy mechanisms, different teams, um, different sort of uh, team governance models. Um, and mm-hmm. both sort of competing for sort of uh, what you know what is the the private money use case? What's the you know what's going to be used for uh, for on darknet markets and things like that? Yeah, that's what uh, Matt Corallo and I talked a lot about fungibility when he was on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's interesting to see uh, what coins are experimenting with that and the different governance models they're pursuing as well. So one thing I like about Monero is that they have planned hard forks, which which sort of pushes the issue of hey, we're going to upgrade. And it's 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 gonna be done, which is interesting to see. For uh, sure, I think that it's uh, it's also awesome that you have a number of these developers who you know nobody really knows who they are, mm-hmm, right? It's mm-hmm. gonna be, you know, um, I think it's it makes it that much harder to to shut something like that down. I'm ignorant to this. I I always thought that Ricardo started Monero. Who is the anonymous dev that started Monero? Do you do you, the, you know? I, his, I, yeah, I'm actually not not 100 percent sure. I know. I know Ricardo is sort of the the public face of the project, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not I'm not actually sure if uh, you know who who the you know the original yeah. dev or sort of founder. Yeah, that's was. that's slipped by me as well um, over time. Um, but yeah, these private and that's and that's the other thing. Like, yes, you should diversify, but like at the end, like the whole the whole maximalist argument and where I come from is that one day Bitcoin's going to be able to implement iterations of these of these features onto their blockchain maybe not at the protocol level but that maybe on there's a lot of arguments coming out that lightning's gonna gonna help fungibility as well Mm -hmm. yeah what can you give me give me some lightning give me some lightning talk Uh, i'm a big lightning (laughs) guy i watch what's going on and like i envision this world where like lightning has all these use cases but like i'm like is it really going to happen though, or if it does happen, when do you think it happens? Yeah, so I I think that that's um, sorry, know, Marty. No, no, that's a great question. That's something that I uh, you know I'm eagerly awaiting. I think that you know we we've had speculation on when it's going to be finally ready for you know a long time now. Um, you know, first originally uh, delayed by you know the Segwit upgrade on uh, on Bitcoin, and uh, you know now we're we're slowly starting to see. Uh, initial prototypes of how it could work in in a real world setting. You know, we could actually send each other, um, you know, transactions now, which is pretty interesting. I think that uh, you know, eventually, once that starts being adapted for everyday payments, that'll be kind of interesting. I think that the way that I think about investing in alts, you know, like personally, whatever I think wins the money use case is going to be more valuable than everything else. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think that. Store value, um, you know, a payment mechanism, a, a means of exchange, um, is still the most interesting thing to me, and so that's why, you know, Bitcoin and Monero, for example, r- remain sort of like top of mind for me. And I think that Lightning Network will prove, uh, you know, if it if it proves out the way I think a lot of people are expecting, um, that'll that'll be a significant sort of improvement, you know, for Bitcoin in the in the eyes of many people who are unable to, you know, sort of transact due to the due to the due to the very high transaction fees. Yeah, and that's that's one thing I harp on a lot in, on this podcast and in the newsletter is that there's so many impatient motherfuckers out there who like literally don't. Uh, under- I'm right here. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wait, we're allowed to swear? <laughs> yes, yeah. this is Barstool Sports. Oh, you got the most impatient motherfucker on the planet sitting across from me. I'm right here. Fucking the Baron of Bitcoin. If we're not rich in fucking six minutes, at the end, of, the entire world's ended. If he's not, if he's not literally draped in gold like a fu- like a goddamn pharaoh in the next. 
in the next hour, it's over. The I'm, entire thing's over. I'm I'm jittery. I'm jittery about it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the one thing like that. It does piss me off. I get pissed off because like like the B Cash people and everybody Bitcoin else. Cash. Bitcoin yeah. Cash. <laughs> <laughs> Arjun just gave me the finger. <laughs> um, but it's like. This is a brand new alien technology. It's going to take time to build out. Have some motherfucking patience. Like, this isn't going to happen overnight. And that's why I'm a big slow and steady. Keep it simple, stupid, slow and steady, build brick by brick. That's yeah. how this company was built. Exactly. Like, no, I mean, even when, if you were to invest in Altitude, it would have to require a lot of discipline, you know, portfolio management, you know, sort of position sizing, I'll call it. You know, you don't want to be too overexposed to stuff that's... Uh, you know, you're that's you know basically a prototype or stuff that you're not sure of. You know, so Bitcoin. then what's your what's your blockfolio like breakdown? Like I'm 85 percent Bitcoin, 15 percent and crazy shit. And like I don't know. And I guess that's my my big question is that like you obviously know a lot more than me. Like I don't have. I mean, I have my team is Bitcoin Marty and a 20 year old kid. So like I have a lot of work to do all day long. So like how are like for the people who want it, like I know this is very important and like I try and do as much time, like spend as much time learning about it as possible, mm-hmm. but I'm not like, I don't have all the time in the world. Like sure. you're like in this space. Yeah. You're yeah. in it. Like, I, there's no financial advisors for this at the moment. So, like, how do we, like, and I don't think I trust, I don't think I'd ever trust the financial advisor anyway. Like, what is the easiest way for the people that are busy but do have capital to, yep. like, and I, that's way off of my other question, but you can, <laughs> you, we can get back to the block folio question. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, the easiest way for people to get exposure to something that's not Bitcoin is obviously, you know, going on Coinbase or Gemini or, you know, whatever exchange you feel comfortable with, now you have a couple of options. You have Bitcoin, you have Ethereum, uh, and you have Litecoin. So, you know, sort of picking something like a 70-20-10 allocation, maybe, um, you know, something like that. This isn't, by, by the way, I should probably put out a disclaimer. Not financial no advice. No financial advice. No financial advice I'm going to do exactly what you say, so. <laughs> <laughs> we are not your financial advice. We are no financial advice ever. If you're taking financial advice from this company- you got a lot of issues. I've been buying up a lot of pizza. A lot of pizza. A lot of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, yeah, so I think that's the easiest way. In terms of my personal blockfolio, I would say, you know, depends on the day, but, you know, somewhere between 60 and 70% in Bitcoin and other forks. So Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash. Um, you know, Bitcoin gold, gold Bitcoin platinum, diamond. diamond. Yeah, I don't even, I don't even know how many Red, forks there Red are. Creighton's about to launch yeah, let's, Bitcoin let's, private. Let, uh, let's get yeah, yeah, some forks. Let's, let's, let's make sure we grab some forks after this. We, uh, you owe me some. You forks. have all the forks. <laughs> I don't think I do. They're but, on your treasure. If you have Bitcoin in your treasure, okay. they're there. They're, all my Bitcoins on my treasure. Actually, you don't um, use a treasure. You use a ledger. If uh, <laughs> if uh, if Bitcoin's on your uh, on your Coinbase, then Coinbase has all your forks. So just sh- shoot I... them a very very angry email. Oh yes, that. <laughs> so let's get into that. Let's. So that's one thing. Not Coinbase specifically, but like the nature of this technology. Like it was made to be peer to peer, decentralized, and a lot of people are holding their decentralized currency on centralized exchanges. What are your thoughts on like the ethos of the space? And you would you encourage people to educate themselves on how to manage their own private keys or do you think it's too risky right now from a UX perspective? No, no. no. I, so I, I, I think that I want, you know, I personally, want, I, I have like the sort of like crazy out there, you know, everybody's individual and, you know, everybody manages their private keys. I have that vision of the future. I do but, as well. you know, I think that Bitcoin is like, uh, will turn into sort of like, you know, the way that we interact with Bitcoin, um, not, you know, we as in this room, but, you know, people generally, I think, will interact with Bitcoin like they do with, like, the early internet protocols, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you take uh, SMTP, it's a good example, you know, SMTP is the email protocol uh, on the web. You know, people don't, you know, run their own email servers. People interact with, you know, Gmail and, you know, Hotmail and I don't know, Outlook and, you know, a number of these other sort of centralized providers. I think that, most people interact with Bitcoin um, or Ethereum or, uh, you know, sort of these decentralized protocols the same way where, you know, they'll hold their tokens on Coinbase or Gemini or, or you know, Zappo or some other custodian um, because they want exposure to it and they want to interact with it and they want to transact in it potentially and move it around. But it'll be optionally decentralized for all the people who actually, you know, really need that and care about that. The same way you can run your own email server, you'll mm-hmm. be able to run your own full note. I love that. <laughs> so the people that want to cross borders and need and need to sort of know that 
their their wealth is is stored securely in their possession. Yeah, can yeah, if they exactly. want to. So yeah, they had the option. Exactly. I mean, uh, Mnuchin he uh, he had a you know whole statement today where he was like. I hate Bitcoin, something like that. He was like, I hate Bitcoin because Bitcoin is, you know, Swiss, it's like a Swiss bank. And, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> thanks, dude. You know, it's exactly what it is. It's Swiss bank in your pocket, right? Yeah, Michael, and Michael Goldstein was joking. <laughs> like, he, he was asking all the wallet providers to, that they, telling them that they had to go through KYC AML and he didn't realize it's open source software and you'd be <laughs> a- KYC AMLing yourself like if, 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 if it were to play out that way. Yeah, no, I think that you know people who are advertising Bitcoin should use him as a testimonial. They should say Bitcoin <laughs> is a Swiss bank and you can use it to, uh, you know, has an uncensorable, you know, stored value. Um, I think that that's awesome. I think for people who need to, uh, who need to do that because, you know they've suffered, uh, you know, from hyperinflation, or they don't trust their own government's money. I think that they'll always have that option. And for people who just want to, you know, sort of like move money over borders and and uh, not worry about that, you know, they'll have that option too. But for the overwhelming majority of the people, it's an asset like anything else, and they'll hold it like they hold gold. You know, people mm-hmm. nowadays, at least my generation, they don't buy gold; they buy, uh, you know, the GLD ETF. Yeah, and now digital gold. And now digital gold, exactly. Um, and. Uh... Yeah. So, one thing I want to touch on is, I want to get your opinion. Where are we right now in in the mania phase? Like this this wave <laughs> this wave of mania? Because I remember like 2013, 2014, that wave before Mt. Gox, that was big. And that's the thing about the space it comes it comes in waves. So like the first one was probably like 2011 when Slashdot wrote about it, yep, and then yep. it went from like ten cents to a dollar. Mm-hmm. That brought a wave. There was a crash. People leave. Then 2013, people come in, Mount Gox falls. That wave was a little bit bigger. And now the wave that we're currently engulfed in is massive. You got CNBC yeah. talking about, tweeting about it, talking about shit coins every day. You know, shout out, shout out BK for putting Poloniex on CNBC. Oh my God. <laughs> that was Brian Ken, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't try to pump Nautilus coin again. Yeah, he pumped Stellar yesterday. Yeah, it was a little bit cringy. So, w- yeah, so let's compare this wave. Uh, this mania wave to to prior ones, uh, previous waves. I mean, because this is like you're all, like being in Bitcoin for so many years, you always like imagine like long term everybody's going to get into it. But like when it starts to finally happen, it's like holy shit! Like I didn't feel like it was going to play out like this, or it's never you, it's not predictable at all. Yeah, it's a little surreal. You know, right. I think that the you know the thing I was having a conversation with a friend who's been you know for your investor. In, uh, in crypto assets um, that also comes from sort of traditional you know finance background and uh, you know he and I had the conversation it was I mean it was surreal uh, we both you know sort of in our minds expected that this would happen but now that it's happening it, it feels you know it's like what the hell is going on yeah, I'm like <laughs> I'm like I'm like trying to grab onto something to like get my catch my bearings and yeah 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 exactly so one thing that's been interesting about this run up the last year is that we've had a lot of these like sort of mini crashes. You know, call it like 30, 40% drawdowns. Yeah, there was like seven 30% corrections last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, Jamie Dimon and, you know, China, and now South Korea is the new China when it comes to banning Bitcoin. Um, and so we, we've been having. Real quick, all, yeah. fuck Warren Buffett. <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> if that old ass man died today, I'd be happy. <laughs> fuck him. Wow. 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 Nate just coming in with the side commentary. I forgot how much I hated him until you just started mentioning Jamie Dimon. Like, Warren Buffett's old ass going on TV being like, Bitcoin, fuck you, old dude. The Baron of Bitcoin coming at the Oracle of Omaha. Well, I love he's it. Co- yeah, he's coming at me. He's trying to hurt my fucking See, this bottom line. You're too emotional. Well, you're too well, emotional. No, no, no. So, Nate, he's saying... Warren Buffett's going on TV. Don't try to talk rationally yeah. about him. Just fuck that guy. We can move on. Sorry, but fuck that Let's guy. talk rationally about him. He's, uh, so he's going on TV saying, I think most of what's out there is going to zero over, you know, say, call it five years. Yeah, he said he put a five-year put on it. Yeah, five-year put. I, you know, would, you know, would we buy the same five-year put, like going out and like looking at what all, all of the dog shit that's all out there right now? You know, I probably would. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. But what he said was, he's like, I can't have a position on something I don't understand, but then he's talking about it as if he understands it, so he just completely contradicts himself in his position on it. Like, just don't talk about it then, Warren Buffett. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that, you know, he's, uh, the other thing is, you know, with all these media personalities they they always want to get the sound bite they just want the story um so you know it is what it is 
I think that you know Warren's done really, really well for him. I say Warren like it's my friend. But <laughs> Your bud Warren has done well for himself. That's he's, an understatement. He's done well for himself, you know, in a circle of competence. Um, you know, but I, I think that, you know, I, I would tend to agree. I think that most oh, of fuck. what's in, in, you know, most of what's out there is going, you know, if not to zero, it's going to draw, draw down significantly. I think mm-hmm. that most teams will not deliver on, you know, the. But he says, you know, but he said Bitcoin specifically. Yeah, Bitcoin specifically. You know, I would, I would take the other side of that bet. Yeah. With it, all this being said, though, like I approach this my crypto investing with a Warren Buffett mentality. Like <laughs> I'm going to buy and hold for decades. Like I understand the tech. Like that's Warren's. That's Warren's advice to people's. It only invests in things that you understand. Yeah, and absolutely. I don't completely understand. I understand enough where I can see the vision of it playing out. If it does play out, where I'm willing to risk uh, money and and hold it long term. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's a lot of very very sharp investors, um, you know, from Silicon Valley who've taken the other side of that bet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, either investing in funds um, that are investing in crypto or um, that are you know holding positions directly. You know Peter Thiel, the contrarian he is, you know announced that you know a few years ago he'd bought up uh, you know a significant amount of Bitcoin close to the bottom, hundreds of millions of dollars worth. Yeah. And and uh, Chamath Padapatia, am I saying that right? The Warriors I, uh, owner, right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The guy, the guy who owns Cohen's the Warriors. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's a. Uh, pol- yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, even, yeah. Not even gonna try. <laughs> Chamath. Chamath. Yeah. I, I agree with your uh, investment strategy, but he's been in it. He was one of the first to invest in Facebook, was their head of growth when they first came out. Um, we don't really agree with Facebook at this company anymore. but um, Not he, that we don't agree with it. It's just it it, it hurts what we do. It, it's a whatever. No, it, do, it hurts what we do, <laughs> but I'm a big fan of like, let's use Facebook to build products. But we'll talk about that another time. Yeah. You know, being on Facebook is probably not good for you. No, long term, <laughs> definitely not. It's probably not good for you. But he, uh, you know, I remember a couple of years ago he uh, got up and he said, you know, everybody should have one percent, you know, in Bitcoin more if you're younger. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I still think that that's true. Um, and if you have a long enough time, and this is where you know position sizing gets really interesting. Where you know, if you have one percent, the whole the thing could draw down eighty percent, but you don't actually lose all that much. Yeah. You know, if you have five percent, it's the same thing. If you draw down eighty percent, you don't actually lose all that much. You can afford to keep. Investing and buying the dips and buying more, mm-hmm. uh, but if you're overexposed and you know you get wrecked, that's uh, you know that's not that that's it's really really tough to to get back from yeah. that. Yeah, we don't want to be taking out second uh, second mortgages on our houses to get in this or anything like that. Invest what you can, and again, it's a, it's going to be an asymmetric return. You're either going to lose that investment or you're going to you're going to have a very 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 lucrative investment. Exactly, proper sizing will give you. You know, it's actually I would say more risky not to have mm-hmm. one to five percent if you're a young person in Bitcoin, rather than uh, you know the other way around. I think it'd, it'd be more risky to not have that kind of exposure at this point. Exactly. Agreed. If you're in your if you're twenty 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 two, like like Matt Brown is not here. I wish you you should. It seems <laughs> foolish to not have it. It seems like almost at a point where it's like, why would you not take that opportunity? Yeah. Like, the other the other side is true. If you're um you know if you're sort of seventy eighty percent in. And uh, you know you're already up so much, but you haven't taken anything off the table. Then you know that's gonna be that's that's really scary. You know it's, it's good. To, it's good to have some cash to buy those dips. That's one thing I was happy happy to do last year is get my initial investment off the table, just free rolling everything. So out. so what do you everything roll? I free roll? Yeah. I'm yeah. free rolling too, but it's like the ETH run up in May of last year, like from sixty to three hundred, put me like I can't even. I don't even want. It was. I couldn't believe the how quickly that happened, and I was just like, "Okay, like this is." <laughs> I guess I'm in this for life. That's when now. we met. We met in May. Uh, yeah, across yeah. the street here. It was. Uh, it's been a cra- last year was a crazy year. Yeah, but the- so I think what would be great advice right now is like so. So let's let's talk about our de- let's speak to our demographic here. Let's be frank. It's probably most people working paycheck to paycheck skimming for rent stuff like that how mm-hmm. can they get exposure what's the best strategy for them do you think i think the best strategy for them for most retail investors it's uh dollar cost averaging mm-hmm. you know buying a little bit every single week there's no need to rush there's no need to do it all at once just a little bit every single week setting aside a little you know what's the amazing part about bitcoin has turned every single young person i know into a saver it's crazy it's actually that's, that's what i always say i'm it's like insane. it's insane everyone like this 
this office went from like buying gold bottles to like how can we just save all our money? <laughs> that's like, actually like literally, very good literally, point. it was like let's go out to the club on Friday night, and now it's like how can we like sit in and like eat cheese sandwiches and save our money? I'm like it blows I'm my not mind. Gonna, I'm not gonna say any names. So we have a guy named Caleb who loves going. <laughs> he loves like going out to the club. Like, very fun guy. He reads more about like alts and Bitcoin and like how to like improve like his positions and like how to like grow his money. Like he's so into this. And if you met him last year, like you know he would wanted to go to One Oak on a Tuesday, and now he <laughs> wants to like go home and like read about like some alts with like, like nobody even knows about. He's like, yeah, look at like the candlesticks and like the the fucking parabolas. <laughs> and it's like Caleb, like what are you talking about? <laughs> so I mean that we won't say his name though, but like he's <laughs> it is, and he's you know twenty two, twenty three years old. It's completely changed the way like young people have looked at savings and like money and like just all this stuff in general. Yeah. Yes, let's touch on that. How did it change you? How to change me? It's definitely oh. changed me. I mean, see that watch? <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that, that that did not need to be said. The uh, we can cut that out. It is a nice watch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a nice watch. <laughs> the uh, so I think for me, it's uh, you know one. I hate spending money now. Um, outside of watches, I hate spending <laughs> money. I try to save a lot of money. Um, I try to you know it's it's totally changed. Uh, you know, I think the Bitcoin teaches you it's tri- time preference essentially it teaches mm-hmm. you. Um, you know, really, really reinforces when stuff, it's, uh, you know, Warren Buffett, he says, uh, you know, he tries to, you know, I know you hate him, but he tries to <laughs> teach time preference over, you know, 30 years. And it's hard to, it's so abstract, you know, it's try, hard to try to visualize that, you know, try to visualize compounding. But when that, you know, when that shit happens in like six months, you're like, whoa, yeah. you know, whoa, yeah. this is totally different. I think for me personally, uh, you know, I'm on my, you know, sort of like, I guess, individual path to what I see as, as uh, sovereignty, mm-hmm. you know, financial independence. Um, you know, sort of like doing what I want to do in the world, which is, uh, you know, continually learning more and uh, and sort of like serving all of my curiosities, working on whatever I want to work on. That's an incredible point. And that's something I try to stress to people come to me like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I'm like, this is a very personal decision. Like you need yeah. to you need to understand what you're getting into and then understand the gravity of what this technology enables and make a personal decision, make a plan. And figure it out yourself. I'm not here to hold your hand and yeah. do it for you. Like yeah, this it's, is... uh, another thing is uh, you know sort of uh, you know if you're selling out of your Bitcoin, what are you going to go buy, right? Like you're going to buy uh, you're going to go buy equities, buy the S and P 500. Are you going to buy you know it's uh, everything sort of like it seems you know it's been you know a while you know we've been we're nine years separated now from the last recession. You know it seems like everything is frothy nowadays. If the you VIX look at... is at an, is is it at an all time low right now? The VIX, the VIX, the yeah. VIX has been very a, yeah. There's all these recently. volatility traders on on Wall Street Journal, like from their home office. It's crazy, you know. So it's, I think you know, for me personally, I uh, you know I don't feel comfortable buying any of that stuff. That's not again not financial advice. Um, so you know, real estate, hard assets, gold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nobody can take your house away from you if you have the money to buy it. You know, yeah. the, or land. Um, and that's um, and that's another thing I touch on is we were just born into this system, born into this the way our world works, and you just start running like you don't even like most people don't take a, a chance to take a step back, basically evaluate what's happened over the last fifty years, and and realize how much the internet and now Bitcoin is going to change us and our tendencies. And you're, so again, you're born and you just start running. Things work this way, and that's what you're taught, and that's what you think, and you really don't challenge it. And that's what, that's why I got into Bitcoin because it was it was a prescient thing for me. Like I was yeah, a senior. I've told this story on this podcast before, but I was a senior in high school in the fall of 2008 yeah, in yeah. an economics class, and I was just like, "How the fuck can this happen?" <laughs> and like went down this path and was like, "Oh my god, maybe the the." The system that we were born into isn't the best system in the long run, and the system's way better. It's a more it's a more meritocratic system, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, you know, it's not just uh, in it's not just in terms of access. It's you know whatever papers you want to read, the research you want to read. Um, you know, if you want to read other people's opinions, if you want to go check out source code, it's all up there. You know, you can go. You there's nothing that's stopping someone to go start contributing to Bitcoin D or the Lightning Network. You mm-hmm. know, they're looking for developers. You know, shout out, shout out Lightning Network. Like they're they're looking for devs right now. There's nothing that's stopping someone from going out and doing all these things. You know, consequently, you know, the other side of that is, you know, if you want to be an investor, you know, you don't need to call up, you know, Goldman Sachs and mm-hmm. get your prime broker and you know be accredited and you know go get, you know. 
uh, solicit funds from your your LPs. You know, you can go, you can trade alts. Soon we're going to be able to do it totally decentralized, um, you know, via atomic swap or, or the decentralized exchanges that are coming out. And, uh, you know, soon we'll have decentralized versions of derivatives and options. And, you know, that's going to be that's going to be a, a, a game changer. You know, it's really democratizing access and, uh, you know, contribution, to all this stuff. It's crazy. And that's what and it is. It is crazy. It's crazy specifically for us because we were born at this inflection point where it's like, all right, things are going to change drastically. Like the last big inflection point in human history was probably the printing press. And that destroyed the Catholic Church, which was the quasi-nation state of the time, huh. and now the or the transistor, maybe you know, like transistor the... industrial. But I'm, I'm talking from like a uh, create destroying. You don't think the, the internet? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying the internet's like. <laughs> oh, the, you're including the, that. Okay. The internet and Bitcoin, I gotcha. would couple okay. together. Yeah, 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 Bitcoin's a layer of the internet, I would say. Okay. Um, I'm but like really destroying the the hierarchical structure that runs the world. So from 15 or. 1000 AD to 1500 that was the Catholic Church. Yep, yep. Now from 1500 to 2000 and to up to today is the nation state. But yep, the exactly. internet and Bitcoin are starting to to really butt heads with the nation state. Exactly. And, One of the first things that we talked about when we met in uh Williamsburg coffee shop, I don't remember. Variety, Variety. variety Graham Ave, one of my favorites. <laughs> coffee is crack. It's actually it's extra strong. The uh one of the th- first things we talked about when we met was uh, the sovereign individual thesis. Um, you know, sort of uh, violence is, uh, you know, the basis of the nation state. The logic of violence. The logic of violence. And, uh, you know, that, you know, I, you know, sort of grew up, um, you know, when I first read it a few years ago, shout out, uh, I think, Naval for, for turning me on to mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, first read it was, uh, you know, sort of blown away. It just, just blew my mind. It predicted Bitcoin on page 25 <laughs> in 1997. Predicted Bitcoin, predicted mobile phones, predicted the internet, predicted populism and Trump. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. everything. The, uh, you know, not a lot of people write about the future in a really sort of lucid, articulate way. It's such a prescient way. Exactly. Exactly. No, we get, we can we're done stroking it now. But the uh, no, it's good. It's good. Everybody should go read it. Um, and it's I, I think it's print only actually, which is uh, dope too. Yeah, you know, you yeah. actually have to like buy it and hold it. And uh, the one of the crazy things is uh, you know sort of I wrote I wrote it off almost a little bit. I was like this is cool, but you know sort of like way out there. And now it's like it feels like we're so much closer. I'm like wow, like this is you know it doesn't feel like it's that far out there anymore. Um, you know, soon we're going to be able to, you know, trade derivatives with whoever we want. We're going to, we're already able to move money wherever we want. Um, you know, and that's, that's sort of like, I think I see, I see that as the first step. You have all these nation states that are, you know, sort of pushing towards, uh, you know, hyper Bitcoinization, you know, they're hold, they're talking about holding Bitcoin reserves. They're talking about, you know, setting up mining operations. Um, you know, and these are all rumors, but you know, some of them I hope, you know, turn out to be true. And they're all actively threatened. You know, we saw Mnuchin's comments today. Mm-hmm. Um, they should be. Yeah, they should be. And I, I'm happy you mentioned that. I got uh, Papa Wasa coming in in two weeks. The uh, the guy trying to convince uh, Ghana to Who the fuck Papa Wasa. Pa- Papa Wasa. <laughs> he, he blew up a couple. He blew we- up on Twitter. Yeah, he blew up on Twitter a couple weeks ago. He's trying to convince one of the central banks in Africa to buy one one percent of their reserve assets in Bitcoin. Um, so he's going to come. Give that case in a couple weeks. In 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 five years, they'll be able to buy the whole continent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's that, that's like the crazy thing. Like, and again, that's what I talked about last week. I had Zao on the podcast, who's from Zimbabwe. And what people in the states don't realize is, yes, we don't need this stuff right now. But if you go to Zimbabwe or other countries where hyperinflation has has affected a country, like you, they need it. And this, yep. this helps, this is a use case that is actually working now and is actually, it's not helping everybody. It's not helping the whole country, but there are people within these countries that, that are using Bitcoin as sort of a safe haven. Yeah. And it's fascinating with my parents too, cause they're, uh, you know, I'm from India. My parents are gold bugs. You know, uh, the yeah. Indians love gold. It's a very man. cultural thing over there. Yep. Right? Yep. Yep. They love gold. And so, you know, watching now, you know, when I first explained Bitcoin as sort of like uncensorable store value, digital gold, they were like, oh, yeah, this is like super obvious. Um, And so they got it pretty much instantly. Um, And what's what's more interesting. And now, you know, we've had, uh, you know, not just hyperinflation and sort of, 
you know, Zimbabwe and a bunch of other countries we've seen, you know, even in India, my parents saw the demonetization scheme. They saw, mm-hmm. you know, people's uh, money taken away. You know, now they're like, okay, cool. Like this is, and it's exploding in countries like that. Um, I think that there are so many speculators uh, like Nate that are coming in. They're like, yo, let me get my quick buck. I mean, I see the long-term <laughs> but, value of it. But, but, but. When, you, when you spend all day with Lewis, it, you kind of just get like excited. You're like, all yeah. right, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then like you have to be reminded, like, all right, chill, bro. But you know, we'll, I, see, we'll see this over and over again. People come to speculate. Mm-hmm. They see the value. Some of them will leave. Some of them will stay. Some, some of them will get wrecked. Then they'll leave. Mm-hmm. Some of them will stay. And, uh, you know, that's how these things tend to go, right? Carlota oh. Perez has, has written a lot about this. Yeah, it was one of the lucky ones to get wrecked and stay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I got I, I was lucky to get wrecked early on my on my different all plays. Yeah. Yeah. If you had to make one bold prediction for the year, like something that wouldn't shock you if it happened, but it's like a bold prediction, like where, where would you go? Something that wouldn't shock me if it happened, but it would be... Um, like the way, I don't know, like if right. someone said last year like that in like one day, like Bitcoin would go from like 10K to like 19K, you'd be like, that probably won't happen. Like what what would be like a big prediction for this year? Uh, I think I think that it's very possible that Bitcoin could hit 50K. Wow. Um, this year. I, I And, you know, I, I legitimately just, you know, what I'm seeing, you know, there's... We're not, you know, the first wave of institutional capital isn't even in yet. Pension funds, mutual funds, you know, there's none of it's in. Um, The one sort of sort of black swan event that I'd worry about is regulation. Um, Uh You know, if there was something serious that came out around that. uh, But ultimately, you know, how I when I take the long term view on that, you know, governments can't regulate this stuff. Um, You know, it's really what are you going to do? A democracy can't regulate this stuff. No, because I mean. Because the the case for plausible deniability is so is so large in this space that like it 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 is going to be like you said impossible to regulate. Yeah, it's just, actually just really from funny. plausible deniability alone. This week, uh, when South Korea, which is you know very very democratic country, came out and you know they they had two conflicting ministries that were both saying mm-hmm. opposite things about Bitcoin and they were both feuding with each other as a result of that. You know, it's going to be really really hard. I think that everybody you know. The you know here in the U.S. the Treasury, the Federal Reserve, the SEC, you know a number of institute uh, of of sort of government functions are all looking at Bitcoin, but you know it's going to be very very hard to do something about it, um, other than sort of close that that fiat on ramp. But at some point, I do think it's going to be too late. Yeah, I just uh, actually just retweeted something about the Korea situation earlier today. Um, the people, the the Korean citizens, like got so pissed off that the ministry did this. They started signing petitions. They had like two position, petitions with like 100,000 si- like signees saying like, don't regulate this, don't regulate this, how dare you like talk down the markets. They were they were coming at the finance minister for manipulating markets. Yeah, the finance minister wanted to buy the dip. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Just like Jamie Dimon did earlier this year. Or yeah. last year. I kept saying this year. It's 2018, yeah. Marty. 2018, Marty. Um, all right, let's get a little bit more cosmic here. Um, I was going through your Twitter, and I found a really good quote by Niccolo Machiavelli that you posted. It's all courses of action are risky. So prudence is not avoiding danger, but calculating risk and acting decisively. Make mistakes of ambition and not mistakes of sloth. Develop the strength to do bold things, not the strength to suffer. Um, I thought that was very, very intense quote like so that that i feel like that goes into the long-term view of of investing in the space and basically creating another book which i think everybody should should read uh sort of an anti-fragile mentality absolutely i think uh, it's actually one of my one of my favorites i think that the you know sort of uh the view that i take is um you know we have we all have limited time in this universe we just try to do something that matters mm-hmm. um you know le- that leverages uh you know our sort of best talents that we see and you know for for everybody that's different um you know i'm fortunate to have worked in investing in the past um you know i've i'm an engineer by trade found bitcoin relatively early found ethereum relatively early um you know so so i see my my sort of way in this world right now is investing in what I see as core infrastructure that's needed for this space uh, to gain mainstream adoption, whether that's mining, whether that's, um, you know, investing in, you know, the exchanges of the future. Um, the And so, 
while you know in that process doing my best not to get wrecked (laughs) (laughs) and uh and so that's the that's the view that i sort of take on it is uh you know we have you know limited time before hyper hyper bitcoinization and so we've got to do everything we can to get there exactly and when do you think hype so when do you think it's coming you know, it's actually uh, you know July twenty second, four four fifty two p.m. Eastern time. <laughs> that's the thing nobody knows, but that's why, that's why you said earlier it's stupid not to get exposure. It'll surprise everybody, except for the people who you know were talking about it four years ago. It'll <laughs> creep up on us just like this run up did. You know, not we, we all thought it was going to happen. But it's happening, and we're still like, "Holy shit! I can't I, believe this is happening." I mean, Every Bitcoinization is going to be the same way. If Papawasa is successful in convincing one African central bank to put one percent of their reserves into Bitcoin, that might be the first domino that that falls that leads us to hyper Bitcoinization. I think that we, you know, we're right now we're talking about sort of the institutional investor arms race, where everybody is talking. You know, before the question was, um, you know, what is Bitcoin? You know. Should we have exposure to it? Now it's, you know, what's your Bitcoin strategy? Mm-hmm. You know, right now with central banks, it's uh, the question is, how do we regulate Bitcoin? How do we deal with cryptocurrencies? Soon it's going to be, what's our strategy? You know, what are we going to do about this? Are we going to be welcoming, um, you know, as, as a sort of call option into the nation states of the future? Or, you know, are we going to try to shut this down and take the risk of uh, of this becoming very, very real? Yeah, the one thing... One thing though is like the the people that would try to shut it down are so technically incompetent <laughs> that I don't even think that like anybody could describe how Bitcoin works, and I don't think they would yeah. get get through their head. Like, I don't I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist here, but we're all know, we're, <laughs> hey we're into it we're into no, it we're into it. America is run by rich motherfuckers. Oh, that's not a conspiracy. That's not a conspiracy theory, but. I think that we're going to get to the point very, very soon. Every rich motherfucker I know owns Bitcoin. It's going to get to the point where- Besides Warren Buffett. Besides Warren Buffett, who does not own Bitcoin. He's going to be dead soon anyway. It's all good. The uh, Every rich dude owns Bitcoin. Everybody, you know, the imagine the lobbying dollars that the Bitcoin, that Bitcoin, that, uh, you know, the Bitcoin holder, the hodler crew can, can put up on, on Washington. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, you know, it's getting to get to a point where- you know, it's gonna be like uh, we're gonna have like big Bitcoin. Um, you know, shout out, shout out Neeraj from Coin Center, but you know, he's gonna be he's gonna be the face of of Bitcoin, the best memer in the game. Best him and him memer. and Dan Darkpill are the two best memers in the Bitcoin. Incredible. Game. Um, the I think that you know Bitcoin in the U.S. at least, if you if the United States has the chance to become the epicenter of uh, of Bitcoin. And all these rich motherfuckers are hitting up Washington saying, like, there's no way you can regulate Bitcoin. I have 10% of my assets in Bitcoin, 15% of my assets in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You know, that's uh, that's going to be very significant. I think that's definitely one angle, and that is definitely going to be significant. The other thing is just, like, the delegitimization of our government to an extent. Like, you, you have Donald Trump as our fucking president right now. I feel like a lot of people are just throwing up their hands, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, uh, if anything, though, you know, one of his first executive orders was, uh, you know, let's uh, let's take a firm stance against regulation, mm-hmm. you know, but I am waiting for the first Donald Trump tweet um, to mention Bitcoin. I think there's a small contingency of, of tweeters that are all trying to get it, uh, trying to make it happen. Yeah, Crypto, uh, Crypto Medici is trying to- Yeah, and he's my boy. He's the is man. He? You should have him on the pod. I, I, I DM'd him. I haven't heard back. He's yeah, probably, well, his DMs are I'll probably- I'll text him. We'll bring him on. Yeah. The, uh, he, he's in New York, right? He's in New York. He's uh, the- um, Yeah, he's been trying to get that to catch on, but I think you know at some point we'll, we'll get a Donald Trump tweet that's sort of like, Bitcoin, what's Bitcoin? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And he, the US is the number one winner of Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Bitcoin's going to be huge. It's gonna be huge, <laughs> and we're gonna win. We're gonna win. Um, yeah, it's so inter- it's so exciting. Like it's it's never a dull moment in this space. Like like we were talking earlier, like Korea came out with this announcement this week. Uh, we got Lightning coming out right now. Alts are 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 hot. Every, right everything's now. kicking up. I think that this is a dangerous time. This yeah, is a dangerous time to be an investor in the space, a new investor in the space, especially it's, it's so easy to be seduced by, by stuff that's not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of the main projects, I think that they all have something, you know, on the horizon that's pretty promising. I think that, you know, the way I think about it is in sort of like privacy protocols and tokens. Um, you have on the privacy layer, Monero, Zcash, 
um, that are holding strong. There's a number of other smaller privacy tokens that are traded on other exchanges like Zcoin that are all working with different... Verge just got proven to not be anonymous at all. Verge? You mean Dogecoin Dark? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I, I, I think it's Verge that was called Dogecoin Dark back in the day. Was uh, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, dude, the power of the rebrand. Uh, the power of the rebrand and the John McAfee pump and dump. Um, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and you follow John McAfee on Twitter, be very, very careful of that man. I think that he's still wanted by like some South uh, South American Belize, government. Belize, Belize. He murdered somebody in Belize. He supposedly <laughs> murdered someone in Belize. Like <laughs> he murdered somebody in Belize. Yeah, and they like they they took control of his like massive art collection. <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, Pretty sure it's well documented that he's a meth head too. Uh, pretty All sure. alleged. Uh, still a fun guy to follow on Twitter. He's, yeah, he's definitely fun. Oh, Great troll. The uh, but yeah, be very careful of that guy. So Verge ran up. Uh, he t- he was tweeting about it incessantly. Uh, but you have you know sort of the privacy tokens. Those are pretty interesting. Um, the protocols, Ethereum. You know. All of these protocols are going to suffer from scaling issues, just like Bitcoin's facing. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them already are Ethereum, and we saw what CryptoKitties did to the network. Well, uh, I get I get yelled at for Ethereum bashing too much, but let's talk about what happened this week. Like they they're they're on Ethereum's blockchain. It's not Orphan Blocks; it's Uncle Blocks. But like the amount of of uh, or nodes, the amount of nodes that were falling out of consensus on Ethereum went up precipitously because of CryptoKitties. It it shot up. The Geth client, maybe this is something you can help me out with. Sure. So Ethereum people don't like when you talk about the Geth client and how much how much data uh, it takes to run Geth. So right now it's around nine hundred. No, it, it's, it's around six hundred gigs. It's a large number. It's actually one of the things that's really funny about Geth is, uh, and in Ethereum. So I I ran an Ethereum client for a little bit on uh, on AWS, and <laughs> it's, I fell out of consensus, um, and I was sort of like you know. Not not that far behind, you know, the equivalent of maybe twenty minutes worth, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that was that was sort of like game over yeah, for me. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what their blocks are coming every fifteen seconds. Or yeah, something. no, yeah. it was uh, it was it was a lot, and so um, the I think that what we'll see very soon is that every blockchain that is sufficiently decentralized will suffer from scaling, mm-hmm. and it's just, especially if you know you have all these sort of computations that need to run on the network. Um, I think we'll see that with Ethereum for sure. Um, we're, we already are to some mm-hmm. extent, um, and you know a variety of off-chain solutions will be explored there as well. Um, you know with Ratings. Ethereum, yeah, exactly. There's, uh, there's a number of off-chain solutions that are being explored with Ethereum. Um, you know that eventually the you know my one of my favorite Ethereum projects is uh, around decentralized exchange protocol, Zero mm-hmm. um, X. I find uh, decentralized exchanges to be super super interesting. I think that they're going to be. Uh, I think that they're going to be sort of the dominant way that we trade crypto assets in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we want to, if we all want to have, uh, you know, sort of custody and security of our assets, why would we ever turn them over to a centralized exchange exactly. when we could when we could just swap with each other? Um, you know, a lot of these apps that you know look to do something at scale, like you know, zero X's protocol, like they're relying on a number of uh, you know activities to happen off chain. And uh, you know they'll use the chain as a settlement layer the same way that uh, that people are looking at Bitcoin. And yeah. So I think that you know that's uh, you know another sort of innovation. I think that was uh, that was you know the road was paved by Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you know people will never pay homage to. <laughs> <laughs> the no. uh, yeah yeah. So privacy um, privacy is interesting. Some of the protocols are interesting. A lot of there's a lot there's a lot of scams out there, but a lot of good activity happening there. Uh, and some of the utility tokens are, uh, you know, I think interesting. There's there's sort of ideas I find interesting, but, you know, execution I don't think is quite right. Yeah, let's talk about utility tokens for a little bit because sure. I think putting a value behind them is it just doesn't conceptually make sense to me. There's two things about utility tokens that don't make sense to me. Is like if the token increases in value, it becomes more expensive to use that token for the utility you're looking for to a certain extent. And two the ux barrier that you create and that you put users through by having to go buy bitcoin or ethereum and then get this token and then use that token on the utility network it just it, i feel like the barrier to entry and the ux of of that it doesn't make sense it's not going to it's not going to be simple enough in the long run like i like and I, the way i envision it is like again like you're going to be able to build things on top of bitcoin or you can use like on Lightning Network, little amounts of Bitcoin as a utility token. Yeah. Am I am I wrong? Yeah. No. I, I think that I think about it a little bit differently. Here's yeah. how I think about it. 
Um, I think about it in, uh, you know, sort of like a Clayton Christensen disruption model. He's a Harvard Business School professor, writes a lot about innovation. And, uh, you know, the way that he describes new innovation, and you can couch this even in the context of something like Uber, is that, Mm -hmm. you know, at first it's very limited in use case, and it's more expensive and more inconvenient to use. And uh, people use it anyway because they have, there's some sort of fundamental need there Mm -hmm. that they don't have satisfied elsewhere. And gradually, as more people use it and there's, you know, sort of increased network effects that come out of it, then it becomes cheaper and cheaper and cheaper over time, at which point it's finally actually cheaper to use uh, this sort of new innovation than it is to use some sort of like traditional, you know, player. Yeah. Um, the model that I would think of in the in the context of a, you know a utility token, you know, if you and you know I'm not saying that I think that this will actually happen, but this is I think the, the sort of theoretical framework a lot of people are working with. You know, if you take uh, you know sort of uh, resource sharing in the context of storage, you know, I'm mm-hmm. putting up uh, my storage, um, and there's a number of these storage uh, sharing tokens. Um, and I'm putting up my sort of idle storage that I'm not using, contributing it to this network. You know, and at first it's going to be way more inconvenient and harder to use than AWS or Google Cloud Platform or Dropbox or a number of these other storage, mm-hmm. traditional centralized storage providers. And it's going to be potentially much slower and harder to work with because, you know, with centralization you get speed. Um, it's very, very convenient. You can pay in U.S. dollars. Um, but I might have some fundamental need to use uh, these decentralized file storage protocols. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, you know, if something is, uh, if if I need something that's truly uncensorable, you know, I might need to use it anyway, right? So if uh, you know the Turkish Wikipedia is taken down and Filecoin <laughs> puts it up, mm-hmm. you know, that's actually a, a legitimate use case. And gradually, as more and more sort of like what I, what I'll call storage liquidity is contributed to the storage network. Um, because more and more people are adding their storage because they know that they can get money for it, um, you know that increases the amount of storage and sort of slowly brings down the price to the point where finally centralized providers will, will contribute their storage and provide some sort of interface. So, you know, you'll have a centralized way to interface with the decentralized protocol. So this is where I get tripped up. Is like, yes, sure. the price of storage falls, but the utility token increases in value, where it becomes more expensive yes. to to access that. And right, but you'll you'll still be paying in a fraction of the utility token, okay. right? So where you yeah. might be paying, you know, half a file token, mm-hmm. you might be paying you know, 0.1 file token when the thing goes up yeah. 5x in price, it'll track with USD. And the holders of the to- the utility token at the beginning that never spent it, you know, if they're buying the token anticipating that they'll spend it in the future, they'll get significant benefits because they brought mm-hmm. early. And, you know, if you're an investor and you bought the, you know, the file storage token, you, because you think that people are going to use this decentralized file storage system, you'll get accrued benefits from it down the road. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, when I say, like, value accrues back to the token, that's what I mean, Mm -hmm. Um, is that, you know, the more people that use the file storage token, the more valuable the network becomes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, the network effects uh, drive that value. Now, it remains to be seen whether decentralized file storage is technically feasible Mm -hmm. or will be able to be, you know, executed upon. What are the knocks on it? Um, you know, it's just technically hard, man. Like mm-hmm. we, you know, we've we've had, you know, decades of of now, or you know, cu- call it a couple decades of de- distributed systems research that's gone into uh, you know sort of examining how to do centralized services, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we're trying to do very very advanced operations across yeah. these massive decentralized networks. Like you know, who knows if this stuff is possible? But if it is possible, and there's enough of a sort of initial demand for it, I think that bootstrapping some of these networks will be very very interesting. Yeah, that's why I'm. I'm extremely interested in Blockstack in particular because Maneeb Ali has and Ryan Shea have done extensive research in distributed networks and the whole. I mean, they're trying. If you don't know about Blockstack, they're basically trying to make the decentralized internet that was talked about in the last season of Silicon Valley happen <laughs> to a certain extent. Um, yeah, it was actually yeah, it was, it was eerily close, but it's funny. Um, yeah, Blockstack is uh, is super interesting. You know, you I could build uh, you know for example a decentralized Twitter. And you could choose to store your data for my decentralized Twitter interface. You could you could store it on your personal computer or your external hard drive or Dropbox or somewhere else. Leave it internet connected, and it'll be accessed. And uh, you know, Nate here could code up a different client, um, you know, for decentralized Twitter. And uh, you could use his client. You could use my client. 
Um, it's pretty interesting. I find I, I think that it'll be you know interesting to see the apps that come out of this. I, th- I think they also have a pretty interesting governance model where they're uh, you know putting bounties. They're saying, yeah, hey, we want to see this app built mm-hmm. in a decentralized way. The best person to build this app, you know, we'll give them a reward of some sort. Yeah, they did that with a bunch of like uh, portfolio tracking apps. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. I, I hacked on it for a little bit. It was pretty yeah. interesting just to try out the the platform. It's, how is it? Uh, how is it developing on top of Blockstack? It's uh, it's cool. I mean, it's uh, it's actually just like developing any sort of web a- web application. Yeah, um, they're interacting with Node.js, right? Yeah, or, yeah. I yeah. used their JavaScript, uh, you know, library, mm-hmm. and it was, uh, you know, you just sort of call like you know Blockstack dot get, yeah. you know, whatever, and uh, you can access the data that you have in uh, in your decentralized like uh, Dropbox storage. And, <laughs> and it was cool. It was very 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 cool. I was pretty impressed. I, uh, you know, Muneeb and Ryan are are you know both blow me away. You know, with how yeah. smart they are. Yeah, they're OGs, and for for those of you that don't know, Manib and Ryan, the founders of Blockstack, they actually worked on an altcoin before Blockstack Namecoin, and they were two of the first to learn about the the limitations of these blockchains, specifically around proof of work and and SHA two fifty six algorithms specifically. Yeah, the uh, so I think that Blockstack is very interesting. They finally launched a token sale, um, you know, mm-hmm. after sort of long awaited. We couldn't participate here in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, and they have some of the, you know the best venture investors in the world. Um, I think that they I would bucket them along with uh, you know what I see as as the protocol coins where mm-hmm. you know they're trying to create some sort of new paradigm for for building applications. Um, and you know I think that ultimately most of the next generation of applications that that come out and get sort of mainstream adoption, especially with a lot of the issues that we're seeing around Facebook and mm-hmm. Google and some of these large companies around data and what how much data we give them. Mm-hmm. I think that um, you know most of those will be decentralized or at least decentralized in some form. They might be optionally decentralized. So let's dive into this. How would a structure like Blockstack differ from Facebook? So right now, Facebook, Google, they hold all of our data. We are products. Yes. If you're not if you're not paying for the product, you are the product, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the case of Facebook, you are using the product. You are the product. They take all of you. It's it's actually super creepy. Sometimes I'm just talking out loud. My yes. And Facebook has denied this a bunch of times. But Spotify I'm, does it. I'm certain. I'm a hundred percent sure that both Facebook <laughs> and Spotify do this. 